everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to the Pastor Study. Our topic today is a disciple, the word means learner, a learner, a follower of Christ, a disciple publicly acknowledges Christ. How public are you about your Christian faith? Have you ever seen the bumper sticker? If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict? The tragic thing today is some Christian churches are taking a public stand, but not for Christ, but for the devil. There's this TV show called American Town Hall that I saw recently. They have six pastors sitting around a table. They do different topics every week. The topic was homosexual marriage. Two of them were fervently pro-gay marriage. About two of them weren't, and two of them were wishy-washy in the middle. And this is the Christian church. Do you know that in Minnesota, we're, not, we're on now around the country, but in the state of Minnesota, we're going to decide whether to keep marriage one man, one woman. 95% of the ELCA Lutherans in Minnesota at their convention in Minneapolis and St. Paul voted against keeping marriage one man, one woman. This is unheard of. We're supposed to stand for Christ, not for the devil. And so I, I'll tell you what I thought of. Do you remember who Justice Harry Blackman was? He is now dead. He died in 1999. He was the, uh, the Supreme Court champion of Roe versus Wade. You could argue that he's responsible for the millions of murders, many more millions of murders than Adolf Hitler. What did Luther College uh, and ELCA Lutheran College do? They gave him an honorary doctorate before he died. I wrote the president, H. George Anderson, who would then went on to become the head bishop of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. I said, how can we give an honorary doctorate to this man who has murdered, uh, by his decision, millions of unborn babies? So what we, the tragedy is, the church needs to stand up again for Christ and not for the culture and for changing mores. We need to stand up for Christ. I had a letter to the editor, and I, it was even, I think I wrote a pro-life letter or some letter against homosexual behavior. I can't remember what it was, but it was a biblical letter, and the Star Tribune, our liberal newspaper in Minneapolis, actually printed it. Well, one of my ushers got angry. Pastor Brock, what if somebody reads that letter, gets mad, and burns down our church? And you know what I thought? I probably should have said it. I would rather be part of a church that stands for Jesus Christ and gets burnt to the ground than part of a church that stands for nothing and stands for 200 years. So today, would you take out your Bible? Turn with me to Luke chapter 12, where Jesus is going to be very clear. If you're not willing to be public for him, you're not a follower of his. Would you take out your Bible? In the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. And let's talk about being public for the right side. <laughs> let's pray first. Oh, Father, we would pray that you'd forgive each of us for being too timid. The other side is bold as a lion. Help us Christians be even bolder than the enemy, Lord. Fill us with your spirit, and God, help us be willing to suffer for you and to stand for you. Teach us now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Luke chapter 12, let me set this up. It says that Jesus is preaching to a large crowd, but he says this now first to the disciples. So a crowd is hearing it, but especially he's aiming these words to the disciples. Luke chapter 12, and let's look at verse 4. Jesus said, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. Let's stop there. Now the question is, who are the disciples afraid of that Jesus had to say this? Well, if you look back a few verses to verse 1, Jesus says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. In this verse, I think, the disciples were afraid of the Pharisees. And there was reason to be afraid of the Pharisees. They were the Jewish leaders who eventually got Jesus killed. So it's, there's reason to be afraid of them. But in this verse, Jesus says, No, there isn't, disciples. All they can do is kill you. Do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. So let me just stop right here and just ask you the question. Who are you afraid of these days? Is there a person you're afraid of? Jesus says, don't be afraid of that person. All they can do is kill you. I will tell you, though, who to be afraid of, says the Lord. Look at the next verse, verse 5. Jesus said, but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Now the question of that verse is, who's the him? <laughs> Some people think in this verse, Jesus tells us, fear the devil, because the devil can throw you into hell. That's not what he's teaching. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that Satan has authority to cast anybody into hell. In fact, it says in Matthew 25, Satan one day will be cast into hell. So who is it that has authority to kill the body and then cast into hell? Jesus is talking about God. So here's the, the first lesson today. Fearing God is smart. Fearing puny man is stupid. All he can do is kill you. God can kill you and send you to hell. Fearing God is smart. Proverbs 9, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There is a sad teaching that's all over the church today. It goes like this. God is love. God loves everybody. You do what you want. God doesn't care. He's a marshmallow. He wouldn't hurt a fly. So don't fear God. Just love, 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 love. That's not what Jesus teaches. In this verse, Jesus teaches, fear God because he can't send you to hell. I asked somebody some time ago, do they ever preach at hell at your church? I've never once, he said, heard hell mentioned from the pulpit. Well, Jesus mentions it here. The most famous sermon of American history was preached in Connecticut in 1741 by Jonathan Edwards, the Puritan preacher. The name of that sermon, Google it and read it, it was called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. It is such a heavy duty. It's all about there's an eternal hell, we all deserve to go there, and you need to flee to Christ if you're going to be saved from hell. It's basically what Jesus is teaching here. Fear God because he can send you to hell. I would say the problem with the American church is we don't fear God anymore. <laughs> When's the last time you heard a sermon on hell in your church? You know the largest church in the United States is Joel Osteen's church down in Houston? Do you ever see Joel Osteen, the happy preacher, on television? It's all about be happy because God is thrilled with you. And, and you just put that happy smile on your face, you're going to get that better job. And just believe God, you're going to get that bigger house. And I'm thinking, Joel, would you once preach? sinners in the hands of an angry God and that we need to flee to Christ because God can send us to hell? You rarely hear that anymore in America and no wonder our country is a mess. William Gladstone was the Prime Minister of England back in the 1800s. 
things were going quite well for England. They were prospering and spreading. And somebody said to the prime minister, uh, Mr. Gladstone, do you have any worries about England? And he said, just one. I am afraid the fear of God is dying out in our land. That was said back in the 1800s. Well, I want to tell you the fear of God is pretty much gone from England. Almost nobody goes to church in England and in lots of parts of, of Europe anymore. I think this is what's happening to America. Americans go to church a fair amount. Where's the fear of God? I mean, when you've got shows like The Simpsons, American, uh, what's it called, Family Guy, uh, American Dad, uh, South Park, and they have cartoon characters of Jesus and they're mocking Jesus Christ, this country has changed. Something has happened to America. We've lost our fear of God. Now, someone might say, but wait a minute, if you fear God, you can't love him. So, you know, we're not supposed to fear God, are we? Aren't we supposed to love God? And my response is, I loved my dad and I feared him. <laughs> I did love my father, but he kept this stick in the uh, closet, and if little Tommy got out of line, I got it. And, and looking back on it, I'm glad I got it, because I never, I never, I've never been to jail. I turned out okay. So, you know, uh, can we fear and love God at the same time? Indeed we can. Martin Luther, back in 1529, wrote Luther's Small Catechism. If you're a Lutheran, you probably had to memorize this for confirmation. Do you remember the first part is the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. What does this mean? Martin Luther. We should so fear and love God that dot, dot, dot. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. What does this mean? We should so fear and love God. Ten times he says fear and love, fear and love, fear and love. Not only is it possible to fear and love God at the same time, our Christian duty is to fear and love God every day. Look at verse 6, Luke 12, verse 6. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. Now here's the next lesson. Don't fear God. You are of more value than many sparrows to him. <laughs> Now, this is a little confusing. He tells us a verse earlier, fear God, he can send you to hell. Now, now he says, don't fear, God loves you more than anything. Well, which is it? What's going on here? Well, I, Pastor John Piper told this illustration. To me, this helps. If you're driving in your car, you're normally not afraid. You go up and down the hills, you take the curves, and etc. But if your tire starts going over the curb, down into the ditch, then you get scared and you get back on the, and it's, good, it's a good fear, it gets you back on the road. And here's the point. If you're trusting Jesus, you're following Christ, fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. But if you're turning from God, if you're in rebellion against God, if you are sinning and smiling about it, you should be so scared that you get back on the road. So fear God and then fear nothing else. <laughs> Verse 8. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. This is a, a great verse. Think of this. If you are publicly standing for Christ right now, one day at the second coming, Jesus will publicly before the entire angelic host proclaim your name. That's going to be a great day. Verse 9. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And here's the main lesson for this passage today. You must acknowledge Jesus publicly to be saved. That's not so hard for us in America right now, although it's getting harder, 
But if you lived right now in North Korea or in Saudi Arabia, if you publicly go for Christ, you can lose your life. This verse teaches you must publicly acknowledge Jesus to be saved. So here's my question for you. How public are you? Does your family know you're a Christian? Do your friends at work know you're a Christian? Do your neighbors know you're a Christian? How public are you about your faith? I can tell you what I think keeps us from being public. And it's stupid, like Jesus just said. We're afraid of men. All they can do is kill us, but we're still afraid of them. I'll tell you what I thought. When I was 18 years old, I was sitting in English class in college. We had some young uh, English professor, and he loved to come to class and bash Christianity. And I, was, I sat in the front row, and I never said a word. Why? Because I wanted a good grade. And this is one of those moments, if I could go back in the past, <laughs> I would pray for boldness. I'd go and I'd raise my hand. Excuse me, I paid money to you to teach me English, not for you to bash my Savior, see? <laughs> and we need to pray for boldness because we wimp out because of fear of man. Again, the question is, how public are you about your faith? Look at the rest of verse 9. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Now, someone might say, you know, oh, but pastor, I did that once. I did publicly hide my faith in Christ from someone. Will I be saved? Well, the answer to that is that depends. Is your lifestyle today overwhelmingly one of denying Christ? Then you're in trouble. But the good news is, can you think of someone in the New Testament who boldly denied Christ, and we know he's in heaven? Who would that be? That would be the Apostle Peter. Three times he denied Christ, and we know he's in heaven. So here's the thing. If you have publicly denied Christ, you need to be Peter. You need to come back to God and say, God, I'm sorry for what I did. I'm, I'm so grieved. Forgive me, Lord Jesus. And then be Peter the rest of your life, because he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and the rest of his life, Peter was bold as a lion. Let's look at the uh, rest of uh, the verses, verse 10. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. Now, let's stop there. There's good news in that verse. If you have said something evil about Jesus, if you said something stupid about Jesus, this verse says you can be forgiven for that. So that's, a, that's great news. Uh, but look at the rest of verse 10. But whoever blasphemes, that means to speak evil against, whoever blasphemes the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. All right, here's the next lesson. Speaking evil against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. This is called the one unforgivable sin. It's called the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And I, I, I had a man say to me once, well, Pastor Brock, I get evil thoughts about the Holy Spirit. Have I blasphemed the Spirit? And the answer is no. In verse 10, Jesus is talking about verbally, publicly, with your words, bashing the Holy Spirit. You know, we can't control a lot of our thoughts. If evil thoughts come into your head, that's not necessarily a sin. If you let them stay there, that's different. But, but an evil thought about the Holy Spirit can't damn anybody. It's probably planted by the devil. Um, so um, the question here is, we're going to do a little detour now. What is meant by the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Is it a one-time slip of the tongue that damns people? Or is it a long-term, hard-hearted rejection of the Holy Spirit? This is not an easy uh, one to discern. Let me show you two different views. I studied this. One scholar by the name of Gildenhoys 
believes it's a one-time verbal renunciation. Follow this quote from him. Blaspheme is the aorist participle in the Greek, and thus it does not denote a continuous action or a permanent attitude, but indicates that after this one deed has once been done, it is already finally decided. The sin here referred to by Jesus must consist in a conscious, willful, intentional blasphemy of the clearly recognized revelation of God's grace in Christ through the Holy Spirit, a revelation which nevertheless out of hate and hostility someone ascribes to the devil. It is a willful declaration that the Holy Spirit is the devil and it is a, that the truth is a lie and that Christ is Satan. This particular sin is of such a nature that it excludes all repentance, it cauterizes the conscience, obdurates and hardens the sinner once and for all, and in this way makes his sin unpardonable. In other words, this man believes once you do this sin, your heart gets so hard you never go back to God. He thinks it's a one-time thing. Most of the scholars hold the second view, and that Jesus is not talking about a one-time act, but a lifelong rejection of the Holy Spirit, Cranfield, the scholar, said this, It is a matter of great importance pastorally that we can say with absolute confidence to anyone who is overwhelmed by the fear that he may have committed this act, that the fact that he is so troubled is itself a proof he has not committed it. <laughs> what is referred to here in, in Luke 10 uh, is, is not 12, is not just the uttering of a sentence, but a fixed attitude of mind. And John Calvin wrote, Christ did not pronounce this decision on the mere words that they uttered, but on the base and wicked thought. So which is it? Hmm. Either the Holy Spirit blasphemy is when you say something against the Holy Spirit that is so evil, your heart gets so hard you never return to God. It could mean that. Or it can mean the blasphemy of the Spirit is this continual rejection of the Holy Spirit, which will lead to damnation. Which of those to choose, I'm not really sure. Whichever it is, though, the point is, let us all fear of going so far into disobedience that we never come out. <laughs> Let's talk about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. When I was an ELCA pastor years ago, in 1997, many years ago now, the ELCA was, were, had a convention to vote whether to join hands with the United Church of Christ and interchange clergy. Well, sadly, the vote went through. And at that point, the ELCA had not voted to ordain practicing homosexuals, but the UCC had. Before the vote back in 97, some pastor, God bless him, got to the microphone and said, uh, President Thomas, he was the UCC rep, why did the United Church of Christ vote to ordain practicing homosexuals? And the president of the United Church of Christ said, we did this because the Holy Spirit led us to do that. Well, <laughs> I went up to this President Thomas privately after his talk, and I said, and I tried to do it nicely, but I said, I wonder if you didn't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. The, a spirit led you to do what you did. It wasn't the Holy Spirit. We need to be extremely careful what we say the Holy Spirit says. Do you know that there is a website now? Don't go to it. There is a website you can go to now to register yourself as someone who has blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Oh, the devil's alive. Huh, look at verse 11. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Well, you know, here's, here's the last point I want to make today. The Holy Spirit is the cure for anxiety. Jesus is saying, don't be afraid or worry ahead of time. The Holy Spirit will get you through. I, I will tell you what I thought of on this. My personality type 
hates confrontation. I hate to have to confront somebody about something. It's a personality flaw. I've got to do it as a pastor and as just a normal Christian. All of us have to do it, but I can lose sleep over this. So the hardest days of my life used to be once a year when I was an ELCA Lutheran. We'd go to the convention, and I'd have to get to the microphone and say, why is the ELCA paying for abortions with offering dollars? Why, are, why are the, is the bishop's office promoting homosexuality? And I would lose sleep the night before, but you know what would help me get to the microphone? Do not worry beforehand what you are to speak, for the Holy Spirit will dot, dot, dot. And you know, maybe you're watching this program and you've got some big worry right now. What will get you through this time? You pray for the Holy Spirit and you just pray. And I'll tell you what I do. I, sometimes I do this. I put my hands, I get on my knees when I pray, when I'm bad enough, bad, in bad shape enough, and I'll put my hands in front of me. I'll say, God, here's my problem about having to speak to this person. I lift it up to you, and then I see the hands of God come down through the clouds. God, please take this problem, and I see God take that problem up into heaven, and then I turn my hands down empty, and I say, thank you, God, that you are now in control of this problem. I trust it up to you. Now, that doesn't mean five minutes later, my mind starts going, rah, 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 I got to do it again. You know, sometimes it's a battle. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit is the one who will give you strength to get through your anxious times. So um, let's, let's just close with this. The, the Lord is calling each of us to take a public stand for Christ. That can be very scary. I know it can. So what you do in the morning before you leave the house, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me be humble and gentle and kind and not obnoxious, but help me be willing to be very bold for you today. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of Scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Brock, my first question for you today, I'd like to go a little further with this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. If, in fact, God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, Aren't you blaspheming God? Right. Now, this is where it gets confusing. There is only one God. All three persons, the Father who made us, the Son who died for us, the Holy Spirit who lives in us, there's only one God. But they are three distinct persons. For instance, God the Father did not die on the cross. God the Son died on the cross. So there are distinctions in the Godhead, even though there's only one God. So that's why Jesus can say, if you speak a word against me, you can be forgiven. If you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you won't, won't be forgiven because there is a distinction. Okay. Yeah. All right. So in your illustration about the leaders of the church today, would you liken them to the Pharisees then? Yes, I would. I mean, Jackie, again, you were raised Lutheran, so, were, so was I. And, and for all the people, if you're a United Church of Christ person, if you're an Episcopal person in the United States, overseas the Episcopal Church is much healthier. If you're a Lutheran, uh, ELCA Lutheran, the Missouri Synod is much better, but if you're an ELCA Lutheran, if you're a Presbyterian Church USA, these churches have sold the farm. And it grieves me because you and I were raised in one of these churches, and that's why I, I encourage people, if you're part of those churches, time to leave. There are good biblical Lutheran denominations like Missouri Synod, like the AFLC. There are good uh, other Presbyterian churches like the uh, PCA, Presbyterian Church of America. There's an offshoot of the Episcopal Church now. So there's, and the United Church of Christ is so liberal, it's almost like Unitarianism now. So I'd say it's time to get out. Okay, well, that's kind of leading into the next two-part question mm -hmm. for you. Shouldn't these church leaders 
fear answering to God on yeah. Judgment Day yeah. for what they're not taking a stand Indeed. on? Indeed. And you know what I've been praying lately, Jackie? God, may there be some miraculous conversions. Wouldn't it be wonderful if some of these people at the tops of these churches would say publicly, you know, I was so wrong. I need to get back to following Scripture and stop following the society. You know, when our, my former bishop, Herbert Chilstrom, came all out for gay marriage and wrote a letter to the Catholic bishops trying to get them to endorse gay marriage, the Star Tribune printed my response to Bishop Chilstrom, which was, Bishop Chilstrom, you need to start following the Word and stop following the world. But, so my prayer is, wouldn't it be wonderful if Bishop Chilstrom, who's very respected, would publicly say, you know, I've reread the Bible. It's time for me to stop justifying things that are wrong. You know, wouldn't it be wonderful? I haven't seen it happen, but I'm praying for it. <laughs> well, that brings me to the second part of the question. If you are in a church where the pastor is failing to take a biblical stance, mm -hmm. is it just him or is it the governing board of the church also that's allowing this to happen? What does a person do? You've said maybe it's time to mm -hmm, leave. Mm -hmm. If you aren't ready to leave and this is happening in your yeah. church, what would you encourage people to I, do? I w the first step is to privately, one-on-one, -on -one, say, Pastor, can I talk to you about something? You know, Jackie, I've been a pastor many, many years, and if somebody gently, humbly says, Pastor Brock, do you have a minute so I can talk with you? I better say yes to that. And, and I had a lady once do that, and she came in, and she, she had a criticism of me. She was so loving and kind about it. I couldn't but hear her out. So my, um, the first thing you do is you talk to the pastor privately. If you get absolutely nowhere, then you can take it to your church council, whoever the elders are of your church, and, and just say, you know, why is it our church doesn't A, B, C, D, or whatever? Some of it, though, is, is the pastor's personality. I mean, there's some pastors who solidly stand on Scripture, but they're very timid about saying it publicly. We need to pray for them and have them do it. The other problem, though, is you have pastors who are heretics in the pulpit, and they're preaching, but they're preaching on the wrong side. Okay. And then you leave that church if, they, if the elders won't get rid of them. Okay. What would you say to the person who is in the public sector, in their place of employment, or in school, any place out there? Why is it we are so fearful yeah. for our own selves yeah. to take that stand and to share it? I think, again, it's fear of man. Why do I care so doggone much what this puny human thinks of me? And sadly, I do. And so I need to pray, God, help me get over my fear of man. Help me fear you. I, 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 that's the only thing I can come up with. Do you have any thoughts? Well, no, but if you work in the public sector, private sector, you have to be careful in yeah, this day and age what mm -hmm. you do say. Mm -hmm. And it takes boldness to go against yeah. policies that yeah. are written by the companies well, that employ and, and you know, I think the thing is we want to be um, gracious about the way we, I mean, somebody told me there was a guy at her church that should be quiet when he goes to work because he's too obnoxious about it, so. Well, we want to thank you for being with us. We thank you for your prayers and your support that have kept us on the air. At the end of the program, you're going to see our website. Check it out for all the things that we can offer you via our website. Thanks for being with us, and God bless you until we're together again next time. Thank you for watching The Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write The Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always.
Interested in purchasing this show or a past show on DVD? How about an audio CD from the Pastor Study on radio? Or perhaps you simply want to watch a past show from our archives. You can do this and many more on our website. We invite you to visit us at www.pastorstudy.org.